Okay. You can turn in your Bibles, if you will, over to Romans chapter 10. Had a question this morning come up after class, and uh, so I thought I would address it tonight. And people can catch it on the podcast if they're not here to get it this time. And I'm, uh, by way of explanation, I'm not exhausting Romans, most especially 9, 10, and 11. In my opinion, with the time we have in these slots, we could spend three months in 9, 10, and 11. Uh, and so, but if you have questions, if you'll let me know, uh, I'd be glad to address those. I just don't know what everybody's question is. And so, uh, I'll try to give more time in class for people to ask. Though I understand fully, the thing is, is we're going through class and we're kind of making ground. Sometimes you don't want to ask a question because you're afraid it's going to detour us off. And uh, Lord bless my heart, I have plenty of detours. But sometimes detours are really important. I've, I've found some cool things on the road when you take a little detour. But over here in Romans chapter 10... The question I have real specifically from this morning after class was about uh, chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And they just wanted a fuller explanation. What is this? Because I run across people... uh, Telling me, we'll see everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so baptism doesn't have anything to do with my salvation or being united with Christ or any of that. No, not at all. And it serves as a perfect example for what I keep talking about, and that is Context, context, context. Especially when you're in the middle of a detailed argument that a lawyer is making. You want to know what's going on? And first of all, Romans chapter 10, Paul's not telling anybody on the street, here's what you do to become a Christian. Nor is he telling Christians, here's what you tell people on the street to do to become Christians. That's not the issue under discussion at all. He's talking about his brethren, my brother, uh, verse 1 of chapter 10. My uh, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And he's just gone through. He spent the whole chapter in chapter 9 talking about Israel. What was their problem? They didn't hear all the blessings and the privileges God gave them. They're not hearing the message from it. They're not hearing the call from it. Uh, they took the law, and instead of being a call to come to God and trust him, they saw it as something they could sort out and do on their own. 
And he said that. He mentioned it again here in in verse 3. Since they did not know, uh, let me just read on. For I can testify about them, them, the Israelites, that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. They thought they'd just come up with it on their own. Christ is the end of the law. It's not that Christ is separated from the law. He's the end of it. What do you mean? I mean, he is the fulfillment of it. So that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, how many times has he said that in the book of Romans? And every single time, what's the context of it? It's the gospel, Jew and Gentile. In this letter, when he says everyone, he's not talking about little babies. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. There's primarily two groups of people continually under discussion, and it's Jews and Gentiles. And sometimes he's not talking about when Jews and Gentiles are Christians, like one, two, and three. He's just pointing out how on their own Gentiles missed it, how how people missed it before there was Jew or Gentile, because there's not Gentiles until there's, guess what, Jews. So, it, but everybody has their own failing. He's not talking about within Christianity. We've already laid the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. I tried to emphatically make the point he's not talking about Christians. He can't be. Why? Because he emphatically says Christians, those united with Christ and dead to sin, for sin shall not be your master because you're not under law but under grace. And you don't get that unless you pay attention to the context. And this is the easiest book in all of Scripture to take something that's said out of context and then you've got a pretext and you can make it say anything you want to say. Just on a word level, it can't mean everyone who cries out to the Lord for salvation and says the right words gets it. Because Matthew 7, Jesus said... Everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What am I supposed to do with that? He's quoting Joel 2.32. If anybody would care, that ought to be a paramount right there. And we said if we started telling 9, 10, and 11, you, these Old Testament, Paul's just, he's not looking these up. He's just naming these off and Tertius is writing them down as fast as he can. Because he's he's taking, and by inspiration on top of that, he's pulling verses from the Old Testament Scripture to give you the whole of what God kept pointing out for Israel over and over and over. And Joel is about the day of the Lord. God is sending judgment, not ultimate judgment on the day of reckoning, I'm not... But he's sending judgment the day of the Lord. That means when God comes in judgment, the day of the Lord, the flood was the day of the Lord. All through the prophets, when they're talking about the day of the Lord, they're talking generally about another nation coming in judgment of another nation. Well, Joel, he happens to be talking about an army of locusts. Yeah, but God's sending them. 
and judgment. And isn't it interesting, if you come over here with me to Joel chapter 2, since I mentioned it. I'm trying to keep this specifically about the question, but the answer to that question is is always, what is the author saying, most especially in Romans, what's Paul saying, what's he been talking about? And I guess we can go on and on, but he just finished in Romans 10, he just, he just quoted Deuteronomy. And when Moses is giving them the law, the, the covenant of blessing and cursing, he's already given them the law, but it's a renewal of the covenant. And they're going over it all again. And he said, don't say, don't, don't think that this is not enough for you. It's not too difficult for you. And, and don't, don't be looking for what God's trying to offer you somewhere else. It's, it's in the message he's given you. Don't say who's going to go into heaven and get Christ, that is to bring him down. That's what, literally what he said. He didn't say Christ in Deuteronomy, but that's the ultimate fulfillment of it. Don't, don't say there's something we got to go get. We got to go into the sky. We're going to go across the sea. He said, that's not it. The message God's given you is there. If you'd hear it, if you'd hear it with your, with your ear, then it would abide in your heart and then it would come out your mouth. That's Deuteronomy 30. That, that's a verbatim quote that he gives there. When, well, at any rate, come over here to Joel 2. And again, just like Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 30 about Verse 1, verse 2, verse 6, and verse 14. And God said, it's right here. Don't, don't pursue this law. Don't pursue any of my commands. Don't pursue me outside your heart. He said, I'm interested in your heart. It's your heart. Circumcise your hearts. Deuteronomy 36. This is a call to your heart. I want the message I give you. That's enough to win your heart if you let it. So there's there's the the context out of which Paul takes Old Testament scripture and and he's inspired as an apostle so he could pick and choose a verse. And I don't worry about him taking it out of context because he knows what he's talking about. I worry about me taking things out of context, so I do two things to avoid that. I read beforehand, and I read afterhand, and I look for other instances, if it's borrowed from somewhere else in Scripture, and put that together with the beginning of the letter in the New Testament that's written, all the way through the end of the letter, what's the message of the letter, and does the thing I'm trying to make the verse say support the point of the letter? Because when you've got the Gospel of John saying things that John isn't saying, when you've got Romans 10, 13 saying things that Paul isn't saying, then I don't know what you got, but you got it wrong. And he just spent an entire chapter in our Bibles of Romans chapter 6 talking about, you know, good and well the day you died to sin. You know, good and well, the very day and the very instance where God united you with Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, 
You know, good and well, the day that that the law quit condemning you and sin quit being your master, you know that day. Or don't you know? That's a rhetorical question. It means you do too know. You know when it happened. And if you're going to make Romans 10, 13 be a statement that some axiom that removes baptism from the place God has given it. And while I'm on the subject, baptism, brothers and sisters, is faith. And if being immersed in water is not by faith in Jesus as the Son of God, then it's sin. Because everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. We're not to chapter 14 yet, but he'll point that out. It's, it's important that we understand that. So, okay, over here, I knew this. I'm trying to cut this in half. Okay, so let's just jump over here. Joel 2, we'll just start in, in 28. And Joel does what all the prophets do, especially the minor prophets. When after he, after he warns the people and after he rips the people for what they've done wrong and, and tells them about God's going to come and, and judge them for that. And again, that's not the ultimate judgment day. It's right here, right now. I'm fixing to put a stop to your injustice and your perversions and your idolatry. And he does that a lot of times. But inevitably, he ends, the the prophet will end their message with hope. Now you think about that. Where would ancient Israel's hope come from? Them? They couldn't make a spiritual sandwich. They got the temple worship, the priesthood, the, the patriarchs, the promises, the very oracles of God. They've got all these blessings in chapter 9 of Romans that he went over, and it's not doing them any good. So their hope isn't going to come from them. Their hope is going to come from Jehovah who called them because he's going to bring a king. He's going to bring the Messiah. And then you're going to see righteousness. And then you're going to see justice. And then you're going to see forgiveness of sins. Then you're going to know the ultimate reality of hope on planet Earth. And their hope was to be in God. That their purpose they, they suffered what they suffered and they faced what they faced in hope that God through them was bringing salvation. For salvation comes from the Jews. Not now from becoming a Jew. That, that doesn't make any sense. Theirs is the human ancestry of Christ, he will say in Romans chapter 9 or however yours words it. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, came through the lineage of Abraham. He came from the Jewish nation. And so God keeps, God keeps that remnant of faithful people and he keeps ministering to them and he keeps using them. And when he gives them hope, what I mean by that is he's saying it'll be worth it. Stay the course. Keep your faith. So here's what Joel says. And afterward, after God's coming judgment, and then he promises, I'm, I'm going to bless you. And he puts it in language the Jews would understand. 
send you abundant showers and autumn and spring rains and the threshing floors will be full of grain and and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil i backed up to 24 and i'll repay you for the years the locusts have eaten the great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the locust swarm and the great army that i sent among you and you will have plenty to eat until you're full and you'll praise the name of the lord your god and he's worked wonders among you and never again will my people be shamed then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other, and never again will my people be shamed. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, and... And your men will see visions, and even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will show wonders in the heavens on the earth, and blood and fire and billows of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Another day of judgment. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the direct quote of Paul in Romans 10. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance. The mountain of God and the city of God. There will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. That's where the quotation comes from. And he's putting together Isaiah 28 and and Joel 2. And he's talking about over here in Romans 10. You come back over here to Romans 10 now. He's using these in fulfillment of. And he's already said this. He said this in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And I've tried to underline that every single class or sermon we've had. The theme of the book of Romans. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because I don't care what God said in Deuteronomy or Joel or Isaiah. Ultimately, his specific call for salvation comes for the gospel. His specific message of salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every law, every prophet, every psalm all testified to that. And he said that in chapter 1. The gospel he promised beforehand in Deuteronomy and Isaiah and Joel 2. And every other prophet that ever offered any hope. The law he he, the gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son. The righteousness of God's not going to show up in an envelope, in a shoebox. It's going to show up in the person of Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. And he will, too, offer himself as a propitiation, a satisfaction, an atonement. And God will call. Jesus said this when we studied the Gospel of John. It is written in the prophets. Who promised the gospel. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Deuteronomy is not enough. Isaiah is not enough. Joel is not enough. They're not enough. 
The call is in Christ Jesus, in his authority, in his name. Calls on the name of the Lord. It's not that God has a name. Yahweh is not like George or Henry or John. It is his authority. And the authority of his Christ is where salvation is found. In the authority of his son is where salvation is found. It is written in the prophets, John 6, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the father, even when he's talking in Deuteronomy, even when he's talking in Isaiah, even when he was talking in Joel, as a past done away covenant. But even today, if you, if you go back and read those texts, God is preparing his people for a call and a message that would come. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Jesus said, our call is to Christ Jesus, our call from God. The scripture says, and he quotes Isaiah chapter 10, verse 11, as the scripture says, well, we can back up and read the other part too, because some people take this. They do the same thing with Romans 10, 9 and 10. Here's what you need to know. You need to believe in your heart that Jesus is some God. You need to confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. He's Lord and confess with your mouth. He's son of God and you'll be saved. That's an incantation or a formula. No, it's not. He's not talking about how to become a Christian. He's talking about what is the word of God that the word of God that has brought us righteousness. Paul says right here, we're right in the middle of it. What do you think it is? What is God's call to Israel? Israel that he is in anguish over because they are his brothers and sisters. What is God's call to them? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the salvation of everyone, Jew or Gentile, who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The Jews heard it first. Salvation came to them. God called them first by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But also, there's no coming to God outside the gospel of Jesus Christ for the Gentiles. For, here's why, it's the call of God. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God, the righteousness of God he promised through the Old Testament scriptures is revealed. A righteousness that is from faith unto faith, not faith in faith, faith in Jesus as the son of God. Moses describes in this way, 10.5, the righteousness that is by law. The man who does these things will live them. That's Leviticus 18.5. You want to be right? You want to be right by God's law? Do what it says. Okay, since everybody missed that opportunity, and they did, there ain't but one person that did what the law said do, and that was Jesus. He is God's righteousness. Come here. The man who does these things will live by them. He just, just finished saying this is what Israel did wrong. They took the law and they thought it was some way that through their obedience to the law, they would accomplish righteousness on their own. He said the sick, sad part about that is, is you're spitting in God's face when you do that. Because, you know, good and God making well, you didn't accomplish righteousness. And you're saying, you know what? 95% is enough. No, it's not. 
And it wouldn't have been 95% anyway. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Direct quote from Deuteronomy 30. Or who will ascend in, who will descend to the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. There's the righteousness of God is not by what we go get and what we do. It is afforded to us in the, in Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ brings us to him. But what does it say? Quotes Deuteronomy again. The word is near you. How about the message of God? That's the word that's near them. It is in your mouth. You can say it. You can speak it. It's not a foreign tongue. And it's in your heart. Because he just said, Deuteronomy 1, 2, 6, 14, it's your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Deuteronomy, Moses didn't say this, Paul is saying this. Israel had the law and what they could have done was listen to it and hide it in their heart and it would have led them in God's purpose. But here's God's purpose for us today, that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart, not just in your head, in your heart, you're trusting him, you're submitted to him, in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you will be saved. If he could convince Israel of that, then they would be saved. And he's already said this over and over and over. What's the only salvation for the Jewish nation, his brothers, his his relatives? What's the only source of salvation for them is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, man, if they just let it have them, they'd have it. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. This message that Jesus is Lord, that he is the son of God. Well, that's true. And that tells us a lot. You're not, you're not just going to give lip service to this. For those who want to give Christianity lip service, God isn't playing that. And we're not the judge of people who are doing that. God is. This is not, this is not magic. The gospel is a call. And it never quits calling is a continual call because it is providing continual salvation from myself, from society, from my sin, from anything that would oppose us. As the scripture says, he's quoting Isaiah 28 again, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Him who? Him, the one that I set as a cornerstone. He is the foundation that I will set in Zion, and he is it. He is the foundation. And never again will my people be ashamed. Because what God wanted for the people under the law that they rejected, he accomplishes in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, we're dependent on him. We're sufficient in him. We're righteous in him. He has become for us righteousness from God. 
And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it has nothing to do with baptism. Come over here to Acts chapter 2. Because on the day of Pentecost, the first time ever on planet Earth, the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached. Eminently, at the, at the latter part of this chapter, the first time on planet Earth that the gospel of Jesus Christ was obeyed. That doesn't have anything to do with the Jewish baptism that Jesus preached and John the Baptist preached. It's not anything to do with that. That was to Jews who were already in covenant with God. He's talking to Jews who just crucified the Son of God. And you go against God in this regard and your covenant is broken. And the cross has ended the covenant. There is now a new covenant in the blood of Jesus. And Peter's explaining that to him. He said, let me explain this to you. That's what mine says in verse 14. I like that translation because that's what he's doing. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 600 years ago, God explained to you what's happening right now. It sounds like a tornado just came through town and there wasn't one. You've got these cod fishermen standing up and they're speaking 23 different languages they've never studied. In chapter 1, they're over here hiding for fear of the Jews. Now they're standing up in front of the multitude and they're preaching and they never will stop. And you can't shut them up. You can beat them, you can kill them, you can put them in prison, and they never will shut up. They didn't shut up, and they just kept going. They're not afraid of anything. What's happened? Jesus Christ has kept his promise. God's kept his promise through Jesus Christ and sent the Holy Spirit to them, and they are now preaching the new covenant, and here's the terms of it. And it's supported by, because it was promised by, the Old Testament prophets. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on the Jews. That's not what he said, on all People, your sons and daughter will prophesy, your old men, your young men will see. He's just quoting Joel. Down here in verse 19, I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke, and the sun will be turned. He ain't talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the day of the Lord. And for all practical purposes, that's the end of the world. Basically, every time it comes, it's the end of what they know. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That has nothing to do with baptism because that's not for uh, 14 more verses over here. And they say, Peter, what on earth are we going to do? He said, here's what you do. What do we do in response to Joel 2? What do we do in, re in response to God coming and pouring himself out on all people? What do we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, a pito anomity, upon the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the forgiveness of your sins and a gift of God's Holy Spirit. 
This call is for you Jews that heard me right here today. This call is for your children. This call is for all who are far off. Now he got to the Gentiles. It's just a circle and it got bigger. It's for as many as the Lord our God will ever call. There's not another call coming. There's the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a call to baptism on its own. It's a call to baptism into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection upon the authority of Jesus Christ, whom they just crucified 53 days before this. And so I encourage us as we're reading Romans chapter 10, don't take it out of context. And I'm not arguing, I am arguing, I argue a lot, but as you're trying to help people understand, because people are misinformed, that that's all it is. They're just misinformed. People don't catch what they're not taught. And hardly anybody is taught to read the scripture, number one, that you could read it and understand it. Most people have been told, you're not smart enough to understand it. Let me tell you what it says and then start speaking in Latin or something. Well, if you're really going to straighten me out, let's go to the Aramaic. Let's go to the Hebrew. What, what are we doing? It's written in Koine Greek, brothers and sisters. That word means common. This is street language in the first century. It's for the common people. It's not too difficult for you, he said in Deuteronomy. Well, if that wasn't too difficult, then this sure isn't. But we do have to work at it. We can't just haphazardly approach it or we wind up making it say things it's not saying. And I know everybody's favorite thing to do with Scripture is close their eyes and go, okay, God's will for me today. We've got to do better than that because the world needs us to do better than that. The world needs us to understand not just, not just the words pronounced, that's a start, but the message given. And continually over and over and over and over in Romans, the message given is Jesus Christ. The explanation given is Jesus Christ. And, and I don't know a bigger explanation in all of Scripture in one single section than Romans 6 and the first few verses of 7 to tell us what happens in baptism. If you're trying to tell me baptism into Christ Jesus is not essential for salvation, you just told me, being out from under sin's dominion is not necessary. You just told me being out from under the condemnation of God's law is not necessary. You just told me that union with Christ Jesus in his resurrection and living a new life by his power is not necessary. And nobody did that on purpose. They did that from misinformation. Baptism's not magic. It's of faith. That means we do it trusting him. So I hope that helps some people understand a little bit because uh, we could go till about 11 o'clock tonight and never leave 
Romans 10, 13. But thou'll suffice for now. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you very much, Father, and we need you. And I hope, Father, tonight's lesson is just an example of while while we hear some phrases in Scripture that are oh, so hopeful and encouraging, they just have good, well, if we'll understand them in context, we'll even have more hope and more conviction and more confidence. And we don't need to be afraid of a single solitary thing that you say in all of Scripture. And it's an impossibility that truth would ever contradict truth. That's true in a secular fashion, Father. We understand that. But that's most importantly true in Scripture. What we could do is dig around in Scripture enough to find the established message and the truth behind it. And if we're willing to do that, Father, it will help us as we're just trying to explain to people the confidence that you're trying to give us in Christ, the call that you have for us in Christ. And and baptism may be at the very pinnacle of that, Father. We're just not coming to you outside of Jesus. Well, of course we'd want to be clothed with him. Of course we'd want to be united with him. Of course we'd want to be cleansed by his blood. Of course we would want you to keep your promise and fill us with your spirit that we might be raised from the dead to walk in newness of life, to walk in step with the spirit and not with the flesh. Of course we'd want those things. And all of that, And every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, Father, is available to us in Christ. Help us to understand it. Help us to sort through it. Help us to sift through it. Because encouragement could be at stake for any of us on any given day. And the better we understand the gospel and, and the better that we're able to articulate it to ourselves and to other people, the more powerful it becomes in our lives. It is absolutely, Father, the call that you have given us. And it saves us all day, every day. It saves us from giving up. It saves us from getting discouraged. It saves us from sin. It rescues us from temptation. It keeps our steps on the narrow way. It keeps us pointed toward you. It keeps us knowing and and loving and depending and relying on the love you have for us because it is very simply, Father, your call that explains to us your great love for us and the great power you have, Father, to keep your promises. I pray, Father, you help us in these things, that you help us very simply to hear what you're trying to tell us and to understand that so we can explain it in as simple a terms as our friends and people we meet need. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for listening to us. And thank you, Father, for paying the ultimate price to bring us to you. It is through Jesus Christ who died for us, who rose again on our behalf for our justification 
and who intercedes with his own precious blood in our behalf now. We pray these things. Amen. God Almighty can't love you more than he does, and the gospel explains that. Jesus Christ cannot be more powerful than he is. And they, through their gospel message, extend to you hope, encouragement, and newness of life. If we can help you as a family in Christ, if we help encourage you tonight in any way, you can let us know now while we stand and while we sing.